0: Take your Bibles and open up to Matthew chapter 5, Matthew chapter 5, okay, and uh, we are continuing this teaching series that we call, What Did Jesus Say? And we've got a couple more weeks in this and uh, a little pre, a little preview too, um, after this series, so we've got two more weeks after today, and after this series, we're actually going to be looking through Scripture and doing a series called uh, The Last Days, okay? And uh, this is not a series on the end times, clarify, it's a series on the last days, specifically what does the Bible teach us about what to expect leading up to the end times, all right? So look forward to that. I'm really excited to dive into that study with you. And uh, that will be starting here in about three weeks. So I'm gearing up for that and excited to jump into that with you. But for today, we are going to encounter another one of these. And uh, specifically the topic of revenge. So uh, two weeks ago, we talked about Forgiveness, last week we talked about anger, and this week we're gonna talk about revenge, and these three kind of fit all together. Because they are all emotionally driven, and we face a reality that these are all things we deal with. When someone does something to us, or something happens, we We take this approach and we go and we almost elevate ourselves to a place of going, you know what, I'm going to do the right thing. I'm not going to react. I'm not going to respond. I'm not I'm, I'm, I'm just going to mind my own business. And then in the back of our minds, this is what's going on. Or we see something happen to them that that's bad, like they get sick or or or. They they end up in financial ruin or something. And, and we go, almost internally, we go, ah, oh, ha, ha. They had it coming. Another term we use for the same type of mindset is this term called karma. How many of you have heard that term before? Yeah, I, I think most of us have. Not biblical. Okay? Just to clear that up. Because what does karma say? Karma says, You do what you do and you get back what's coming to you. And so we'll even wish that upon people. I hope that bad things happen to you because of what you've done to me. And it's good for us to stop a minute and recognize our own immaturities before we dive further into Scripture Because us recognizing our immaturities is a natural part of us growing to become more like Jesus. If we didn't have any immaturities about us, then there's no reason for us to even grow, right? So rather than simply acknowledging that this is something we as humans struggle with, let's commit to moving from where we are To where God wants us to be from immaturity to maturity in Christ. That's what this is all about, right? Now, some of you may be sitting here, especially if you're visiting or listening for the first time. You're going, my goodness. Maybe he should start a different way than calling everyone immature. Well, I've got biblical reason for this, okay? In Ephesians 4... Here's what it says, and this is just setting the tone for what we're going to talk about. It says, and he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers for what? To equip the saints, that's you, for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ until, so this is to go on, until we all, everyone say all, until we all attain the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature, everyone say mature, Him, who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow. Everyone say grow. So that it builds itself up in love. So, as we've been navigating this series, What Did Jesus Say? The whole goal of this is that we would be growing in maturity as we understand more specifically what Jesus is telling us to do. That means we have to be able to recognize the pieces of this where we are not responding as Jesus has commanded us to. I am a part of this with you, brothers and sisters. I am with you in this struggle because these are not easy subject matters to encounter. Nonetheless, We weren't given God's Word because it was easy. We were given God's Word because it's necessary. Because each and every one of us absolutely needs the grace of God that only comes through Jesus. And so if you are here today and you do not know what it looks like to possess the very grace of God in your life, to experience that for yourself, that is your message for today. To grasp and understand That apart from Him, we can do nothing. Apart from His help, we will constantly fail at every single one of these junctures. Apart from Him, we have no salvation. And yet for every person who believes in the name of Jesus to be saved, there is salvation and eternal hope. Amen? So, as we encounter this today, I want you to just keep this kind of in the back of your mind as we engage in the text, and as we seek to understand what did Jesus say about revenge. So I'm going to say, when it comes to revenge, and I want you all to speak back, what did Jesus say? When it comes to revenge, well, let's look in Matthew chapter 5, and then we're going to pray together. Starting in verse 38 of Matthew chapter 5. It says, you have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, do not resist the one who is evil. But if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. And if anyone would sue you and take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. And if anyone forces you to go one mile, go with him two miles. Give to the one who begs from you and do not refuse the one who would borrow from you. Father, as we engage in this, may you open our eyes, may you bring clarity, may you rid us of wrongful interpretation and understanding of this, that you would make us more like your son and less like ourselves, that we would be able to faithfully carry out all that you've called us to as your church. Pray this all in the powerful name of Jesus. Amen. Now, one of the first things we should see here in in verse 38 is it says, You have heard that it was said. And as you remember from our time in Galatians, there should be a question we ask when we read this. What is the question we should ask? Where does it say this? Where in the Bible does it say this? Now, Jesus here is speaking to His disciples during what we call the Sermon on the Mount. And as He's speaking to them, He goes through these six affirmations where He identifies something they would have known from the past and then brings about a new reality for them in the present. And so these three passages specifically speak... To what he just referred to when he said, you have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. Exodus 21 specifically says, in reference to the harming of a woman who's pregnant, it says, if there is harm, then you shall pay life for life, eye for eye. Tooth for tooth, whatever injury he has given a person shall be given to him. Leviticus 24 says, whoever takes a human life shall surely be put to death. Whoever takes an animal's life shall make it good, life for life. If anyone injures his neighbor, as he has done, it shall be done to him. Fracture for fracture, eye for eye, tooth for tooth. Whatever injury he has given a person shall be given to him. Now, understand that this is rooted in the Old Testament law. Everyone say law. And God established the Old Testament law for purposes of right judgment and justice amongst His people. His chosen people, the nation of Israel. Backstory on that. The nation of Israel is really the descendants of a guy named Jacob who God renamed Israel. He had 12 sons. Those twelve sons make up the twelve tribes of Israel. God establishes order and structure with his chosen people, the nation of Israel, in the Old Testament when he brings them out of Egypt, which is why we call it the book of Exodus. They exited. And so the most common of those rootings of the law is in Exodus 20 when we have the establishment of the Ten Commandments. And it didn't stop there. That's a general overview, but God got a whole lot more specific in the books to follow so that the people knew how to govern according to God's plan. So this would have been common knowledge. The people would have known this. So what's the problem? The problem is that regardless of where mankind is, we make God in our image rather than recognizing that we are made in His. And so what happened, all the way back in the Old Testament we saw this, is mankind takes what God has established and makes it His own. And starts adapting and changing and shifting so that it fits man's model rather than God's design. And so that's exactly what the Pharisees were most well known for. The Pharisees was this group of guys who were really the religious leaders of their day. And Jesus had the most negative rub-ins with the Pharisees because they were so focused on the law that they completely missed the point. Ultimately, that the law was put in place to drive God's people back to him as ruler and king rather than themselves. And Jesus comes into the picture. And one of the things we see specifically from Jesus is in Matthew chapter five. He says that I have not come to abolish or get rid of the law. I have come to fulfill the law. That's in Matthew chapter 5, verse 17. Jesus Himself says this. Why does He preface that? Because as He's navigating these teachings, there's people who are going, Jesus, you are completely abolishing the law that was established. You're calling yourself, yourself the Son of God. God gave us this law. Why are you abolishing it? He's not. In Christ, the very law that was established in the Old Testament is fulfilled right relationship with God the Father is fulfilled in Christ praise the Lord for that because apart from Jesus we would still be stuck in the structure of the Old Testament law now here's, here's what we like to do church how many of you have seen a document that has a like a simple statement and then it has a little star asterisk in the corner right? how many of you have seen that right and it just keeps adding to it. We love to do this with rules. And some of you, uh, one of the things I'll never forget about when I was in Oregon, I did uh, quite a few years of youth ministry. And within youth ministry, there was always one or two that would think of how they could shift the rules of a game. You encountered this before? And so you explain the game and then you get into it and they totally cheat. And then you come to them and you say, well, what are you doing? And they go, well, you didn't say I couldn't do this. Really? It's It should be apparent to you that you should... Okay, we do the same thing with God's commands. We we like to read something and then we like to make a little star icon and then we make our own list under it. Well, I'm going to follow this except in this case, this case, this case, and this case. I, I want to listen to what God has to say, except put the little star icon. This, 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 and this. And we, in and of ourselves, overcomplicate this, and end up making God in our own image, putting him in our own little box, rather than understanding what he's actually said. This applies to the concept of revenge. And instead, Jesus comes in in verse uh, in, in verse thirty nine. He says, "But." I say to you, do not resist the one who is evil. Now, if if you're, if you're one who marks in your Bible, underline that. Do not resist the one who is evil. Jesus, what in the world are you talking about? What is this business? Because I am not actively in the business. Of trying to put myself around evil people. So what are you trying to say? Well, clarifying point here before we move much further, okay? There is a difference between revenge and justice. Justice says I desire that this wrong that was committed be made right. Revenge says, I will make this wrong right my own way. Big difference. Okay, everyone turn to your neighbor and say, there's a difference. And in fact, Jesus calls us to something distinct. He calls his disciples to something completely out of the norm, and frankly, according to broader secular culture, is ridiculous. And he says it the scripture speaks of this elsewhere in Proverbs 25 verses 21 through 22, says, "If your enemy is hungry, give him stale bread to eat. Ah Give him bread to eat if he is thirsty. Give him water to drink, for you will heap burning coals on his head and the Lord will reward you. Now understand for a moment, the reward doesn't come simply because you gave them bread or gave them a drink. The reward comes because intentionally you see your enemy and you care for them anyway. Romans 12 says the same thing. Brother, beloved, never, everyone say never, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if, he quotes Proverbs here, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink, for by so doing you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. That's another one. Verse 21 is another one. If you write in your Bible, box that, underline that. Do not be overcome by evil, but you overcome evil with good. That's hard. Now, it's important that we clarify a couple things about what Jesus is saying here. Because he. It's easy to pull this out and, again, add our little asterisks to it and make it what we want it to say. And so the first thing here that we need to recognize is Jesus is not saying that there should be an absence of discernment in your mind. He's not saying that you must give everything anyone asks of me. In one commentary that I read by Warren Wiersbe, It says, verse 42, does not command us to give to everybody who asks whatever they desire. For in so doing, we might do them harm. We must give them what they need the most and not what they want the most. There's a difference. Now, another check mark to this would be, We need to make sure that what we think they need most lines up with what God says they need most. And there's some clarity in each of these areas. In Proverbs, it makes it clear. If people come to you, Proverbs chapter 1 talks about this. If someone comes to you and says, hey, let's lie and wait and murder this person over here. No, I'm not going to do that. I don't care how hard you ask me to do that. Why? It goes contrary to what God has called me to. That being said, most of the time, followers of Christ do not lack in areas of discernment or judgment. They lack in areas of generosity. Just being truthful here. We are so leery And oftentimes so selfishly motivated that in and of ourselves we go, "Uh uh-uh, I don't trust you, I don't believe you, I don't want anything to do with you, and so I'm going to send you on your way. We do this. And the attitude Jesus is calling His disciples to here is an attitude of generosity. It's an attitude that is marked by a transformation that has taken place Internally, as a result of what Christ has done for us. The second thing Jesus is not saying here is that somehow I must turn a blind eye to abuse and injustice. I hate to say this, but there are people who take this passage and try to use it as justification for people to stay in a place that is not safe. Where they say in verse 39, do not resist the one who is evil. This is not saying that if you are in an abusive situation or there is injustice that you just need to bend over and allow whatever to take place, take place. How do we know this? Well, I'm going to go through four different scriptures that speak to the contrary. Psalm 82.3 says, Give justice to the weak and the fatherless. Maintain the right of the afflicted and the destitute. Isaiah 1 verse 17 says, Learn to do good. Seek justice. Correct oppression. Bring justice to the fatherless. And plead the widow's cause. Micah 6.8 says, He has told you, O man, What is good and what does the Lord require of you but to do justice and to love kindness and to walk humbly with your God? Luke chapter 11 verse 42 says, But woe to you Pharisees, for you tithe mint and rue and every herb and neglect justice and the love of God. These you ought to have done without neglecting the others. Jesus is not saying here that I need to turn a blind eye to these things. Rather, what is He saying? He is specifically saying that in our persona, in who we are as people, something needs to change. Something needs to transpire where we recognize more fully what Jesus has done for us. And respond accordingly. Do you recognize, church, that when we come to faith in Christ, something should be different? And what becomes different is not what saves us. Rather, in being saved by Christ, we should look different. And that involves how we respond when we're angry. When sin is committed and how we, how we react, really revenge in this. And revenge does not equal justice. We've confused those two. And let me be clear that these passages in scripture absolutely demand that we as God's people should always in every situation seek justice and what is right. This does not mean that if someone has committed a wrong, that we just blow it by. And that's true both in our culture as well as in the church. Matthew 18 gives us very specific instructions about how we are to keep each other accountable. Why? Because something should be different. What's not different? Karma is not different. Wishing wrong upon someone who's wronged me. That's not different. Why? Because everyone I engage with outside of the church feels the same way. Man, they treated you wrong. You treat them wrong. And yet in Jesus, I want you to stop and think about what that would look like if Jesus treated us the same way. If our salvation was dependent on how well we could walk as followers of Jesus, would any of us be saved? The clear answer would be no. Because I more than likely choose my flesh over anything else. How do we know something needs to be different? First John chapter 2 says, By this we know that we are in Him. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. Everyone say same. The same way in which he walked. If I say I abide in Christ, but I don't seek to walk the same way he walked. Something needs to change. Galatians 2. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. 1 Peter 3.9 Do not repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, bless. You want a challenge? Right here. For to this you were called that you may obtain a blessing. 1 Thessalonians 5. See that no one repays anyone evil for evil, but always seek to do good to one another and to everyone. Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. If you ever want an answer, a very direct answer to what the will of God is for you, Right here, 1 Thessalonians 5. Powerful, powerful instance of what God's will is for His people. Here is where we need to land, church. The promise of our Savior is that we don't need to seek revenge. Why? Why? Because God will fight for you. God, in and of himself, is perfectly holy, is infinitely perfect, and is just. Now, this can be taken... So many wrong ways, and I really am praying that the Lord would equip you with an understanding of this. This, I will say it again, this does not mean that we just passively walk around and don't seek for what is right. This does not mean that there won't be situations where you as brothers and sisters in Christ end up in court. It's not what this says. But what this is talking about, what Jesus is most concerned about is what is the condition of your heart? Where is your attitude? Because as we learned last week, our anger as human beings does not bring about the righteousness of God. And me seeking revenge is always, everyone say always, it is always rooted in anger. Always. And my revenge is always, everyone say always, It is always emotionally driven. And emotions are not bad unless they are in control. And so often we can elevate our emotional feelings over the truths of what God has called us to. And He has called us to something different. He's called us to respond and react in a way that when people look at our lives, they see the bride of Christ. They see Jesus Himself indwelling the person rather than their flesh. And we know from Galatians, there's this war going on back and forth, back and forth, where my flesh and my spirit, the Spirit of God is tugging back and forth, and I get to choose which one I feed. And the question we need to ask is, when I respond, when I'm wronged, when someone demands something of me that isn't fair, when I'm in a situation like that, who do people see? Do they see my flesh, or do they see my Savior? And my goodness, church, I can attest to multiple times in my life where someone wronged me, and my instinct was to be so angry and to get back at them passive aggressively, however it might be possible. Or just maybe to write them off. You know what? I don't even, I don't need you. I don't need you in my life anymore. And instead, challenged by brothers and sisters, you said, no, Matt, that's not right. And I go, but, but, but you don't understand. No, Matt. It's not right. And so you reach out and you love on them, even if it's not reciprocated. And just as Romans 12 and Proverbs say, you heap burning coals. And that is not, alright, clarification guys, that does not mean you heap literal burning coals at them. That goes back to the problem, okay? We're not gonna light some stuff on fire and throw it at people. It's not what we're doing, okay? You can't go home and take a coal out of your fireplace and put it under your spouse's chair at lunch. Don't do that, okay? Don't do that. But instead, when a wrong is committed against me, when I feel I have the right to make them pay, choose what Jesus has called us to, First, and allow him to bring about justice. Allow him to bring the wrongs to light. Allow him to fight for you. And you know what this takes? Here's how we apply this we remain faithful to remind ourselves of the gospel. The good news, we remain faithful to remind each other that apart from Christ, we have nothing. We remain faithful to speak out against injustice and wrongdoing. And we remain faithful to not take matters of revenge into our own hands. But to allow God to bring about justice this has more to do within here than it has to do without here. Because if I fix my eyes on revenge, I am no longer fixing my eyes on Jesus. We have a choice to make. And we have to walk faithfully in it day after day. Heavenly Father, we are, we are not worthy of the gift You've given us in Jesus. Father, the grace You've shown us, the unearned favor You have given to us, may You use that to motivate us to live and walk as followers of Christ. God, I pray for my brothers and sisters here who are struggling because wrong has been done to them. Father, may they hear Your voice today when You remind them of Your love for them and Your promise to bring about that which is right and truly just. Father, I pray for those all over the world who suffer injustice on so many different levels. God, we believe that You are a God who will leave none of this undone. But I pray that You would help us to not only speak out against those injustices, but to ultimately pray for and long for the salvation and transformation of our enemies. God, that you would establish us in a way that goes contrary to the culture around us. In recognition that you've called us to something different. May we be a people marked by your love. Motivated by your grace. Unify us and remind us of this hope, I pray in Jesus' name.